everyone. My name is Brandon. And I'm Zach. And we are here today with Mind the Snap. This is a podcast covering the Little John banger, Snap Your Fingers. <laughs> Every time we come up with a new uh, snap joke, I think it's perfect. That's like I don't understand. Shit. I was told that we are covering Little John bangers. Is this not correct? Well, this may come as a surprise to you, but guess what we're going to actually talk about today is the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer. All right. I mean, I guess that's cooler. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll still figure that out. We're glad you guys could join us today in our third episode of Minus Snap. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our first couple episodes. Um, so today we're going to do a big overview talk. We're going to go in depth on the Quantumania trailer and talk about some of our thoughts about it, what we hope to expect and to see from the movie. Sounds good. Okay, so we're going to pull the trailer up and rewatch it ourselves. If you want to pause here, uh, you can do the same, and then we'll be right back with you. All right, everyone, and we are back now after watching the trailer. So let's get into it. All right. Well, first things first. Um... That song, Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. Off the first trailer. Yes, off yes. the first one. Yeah, off the original trailer, because they did change the song for the second one. But um, I like it. I think it fits. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I, anytime you can use a good Elton John song, I'm, I'm good with that, too. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the second trailer? Um, so we saw a lot of things in the second trailer that we didn't get to see in the first trailer, including an extended dialogue with Kang, mm-hmm. um, where he explains that he needs something from Ant-Man in return to letting him go home and giving him back the time with his daughter that he missed during the snap when he was gone. Okay, so that that is something I was thinking about as well. So I have a question here. So if Ant-Man's part of the bargain is that he gets extra time, does that make his reasoning somewhat villainous for helping Kang out? It does seem like maybe there's a little bit of a of a choice because there's I mean a superhero always has to be faced with some kind of like optional selfishness right and they have to choose to pick everybody else's safety over what they want right that's Mm -hmm. a big part of every superhero movie so it does seem to me like he's maybe giving him an option and saying you can do this for me for a selfish reason so yeah I would say there's probably maybe some so maybe so he might have to do something that's maybe goes pushes his morals a little bit yeah that's kind of what i'm wondering is you know it it kind of reminds me of where his lifestyle was at the beginning of the first movie where Mm -hmm. he was kind of a reformed criminal you know and here's someone who now has become a hero you know and he's grown in his life he's got a family now um but at the same time some of those instincts of maybe selfishness and whatnot that may have driven some of his actions in the past you know, are they going to come to the forefront again now that he's presented with the opportunity to relive some of his life again, you know, mm-hmm. with with his daughter or whatnot there, too? Yeah, because he did miss a lot of her life, too, while he was in prison. Right. So I think he's worried about that time that he's missed. And now she's grown up. She's an, a teenager now. And she's, in, like, reaching that point where she's going to be out on her own anyways. And so he's he's missed a lot of that, that time that he could have had. Well, and we see in this second trailer, too, there's a scene of her actually coming out of a jail cell, which implies mm-hmm. that she herself has gotten into some trouble. And I'm wondering if he's also worried that she's following in his footsteps and wants that time back to be a better parental figure, perhaps, to mm-hmm. try to dissuade her from whatever has happened there. Um, sure. I don't know. I, I, it just will be interesting how that journey plays out with uh, Scott and Cassie, I think. So the other thing that um, I noticed from watching this trailer, um, mostly the second one, um, is we see kind of this this change in, in Janet that maybe there's some things that she didn't say 
um, to anybody about what she knows about the quantum realm because it seems like she knows an awful lot about this city uh, mm-hmm. in the microverse and its inhabitants, which we never heard anything about in the last film. Right. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what she'd be hiding there. She definitely was very nervous that Cassie activated this this beacon or whatever it is that's pulling them into it um, and doesn't want them there. I don't know if it's just that she knows the dangers of, you know, the creatures that are there or if there is something bigger that she's actually scared of. Um, I, you know, if they somehow let on that she knew that Kang was there, I mean, that's going to be some sort of a retcon from the second movie. I mean, there was no no evidence in the second movie that she knew something like that. Right. Unless she just was keeping it hidden for her own reasons. So I guess we'll see. But definitely, I agree with you. She's um, not wanting, one, she doesn't want her family in danger. But two, there's something there that she knows that she's not telling. I almost wonder, because we know she survived in the quantum realm when nobody else did. Mm-hmm. Um, Ant-Man was the only one to come back from the quantum realm, as far as we know. But somehow she survived mm-hmm. in there for years. Um, and so part of me wonders if the reason is she may have sold her soul to the devil a little bit with Kang in order to get out. Um, because she did yeah. talk in the trailer that she knows about Kang. Mm-hmm. Because she said, you can't trust him. Right. And here's the things that he does oh, good time point. and stuff. Good point. So I think she knows not only that the microverse exists... But she's afraid of um, the inhabitants that live there, and she knows more about Kang than she's letting on. So kind of implying that maybe this is a bit of a retcon, that maybe she did know about his existence in the second movie, and it just didn't. we just didn't see it yeah. as part of that movie. Because we saw when she came out of the quantum realm, too, that she had new powers right. as well. Right, Like with quantum healing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I think there's more than meets the eye on her connection with the microverse. Interesting. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do with that for sure. Yeah. And since you touched on it, let's talk a little bit about Kang. So obviously, sure. Kang has this this version of Kang has had some sort of damage, right? We see that he's got mm-hmm. scarring on his face. Um, you know, I don't know what you think. My theory is kind of that there's some accident or something that may have cast him into the mm-hmm. microverse. I don't know. I mean, what did you, did you take anything from that? Yeah, I mean, we heard uh, in the Loki TV show we saw that uh, Jonathan Majors' first version of Kang, He Who Remains. Um, talks a lot about how he's one of the few good variants of Kang. So we see this slightly more evil variant of Mm -hmm. Kang that exists um, that maybe as a way to protect the universe from him, his other variants that are kind of the good variants may have cast him into the microverse to keep him secluded from everyone else because he appears to be trapped there. Um, He talks a lot about what he needs from Scott Lang in return to giving Scott his life back, Mm -hmm. which makes me think that he knows that the Pims are his way out of the microverse. So I think he's going to tap into some of Scott's buried selfishness mm-hmm. and as a way to escape from the quantum realm. Well, and apparently he must need Scott's powers in some ways, something mm-hmm. that Kang himself doesn't have right. that Scott possesses as far as the power or the technology that, that he needs to accomplish whatever task he's tasked uh, Scott with. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that's a good segue maybe into what we see, which is we, t- we see Kang, um, the implication here is that he, well, it's more than an implication, that he can pull uh, Scots and other people from different timelines. Right. He can fracture timelines. And we see an example of that in the trailer where we see multiple Scots kind of splitting off. And then we see little Scots and big Scots. And it actually kind of reminded me of that scene from, I actually haven't seen the movie, but the trailer for World War Z. Uh, where there's a big bunch of zombies in a mass just kind of all piled up together, all mushed together. And that's kind of what that scene with all the little Scots reminded like me of. Holding each other up so he can yes. reach the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely an interesting scene. And uh, we were talking before the podcast about something that you felt or you had been hearing about with Scott. Did you want to touch on what some of the rumors are around perhaps what yeah. happens to Scott in this? So there's a lot of rumors. There's a scene in there where uh, Jonathan Majors, uh, Kang, uh, stomps on Scott's head. Um, while they're fighting. 
Um, and then we see Scott's shattered helmet kind of roll around on the ground. Which, by the way, before you go on, yeah. I love that shot because it's a typical shot of like a human stepping on an ant, right? Which exactly. is literally what Scott is in this case is Ant-Man. So I thought that was a neat little touch to that. But It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, it kind of makes me wonder, and a lot of people are saying this, does Scott Lang die in Quantumania? And I'm not sure exactly what route will go because they're still setting up the next Avengers movie, which mm-hmm. has Kang in it. So I feel like it doesn't seem totally plausible that he does die. However, I think there's a very real possibility because we know they're setting up the Young Avengers with um, his daughter Cassie who plays Stinger in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that at some point in the comics she becomes she goes by stature and she joins with the Young Avengers with people like uh, Kate Bishop who we saw um, in the Hawkeye, the Hawkeye TV yep. show. So it begs the question, does he die to make way for his daughter to become like his role in the new Avengers. Yeah. Well, and, and just, you know, one of the things that I want to, we both want to keep doing with this podcast is making sure that people that don't follow as heavily as we do in the comics world or, or even in the movie universe uh, can kind of understand some things. So I wanted to kind of back up here just a minute too and touch on where we saw Kang. So you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier that Kang's first appearance is not actually this trailer. So uh, in case you have not seen the Loki TV show, which is a good show, definitely go see it if you have a chance on Disney Plus. Um, his first appearance in the cinematic universe is actually in that show. And like you mentioned, you know, he's a, a, in that one, he plays sort of a good variant of himself. Uh, but just to be clear, this will not be the first appearance of him, but it is the first appearance of this version of Kang, which starts to get confusing. But, uh, you know, this one is obviously a villainous Kang who's been trapped in the, uh, the microverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we saw, um, obviously, he's played by the same actor that he was played by in Loki, because we know that the variants can look different around mm-hmm. the timelines, as we saw with the different Loki variants that are in that TV show. Right. Um, but they're, these two versions of Kang are both played by Jonathan Majors, but we see that this suit has a lot more comic-accurate appearance yes. with the purple and the green and the blue face mask right. that he wears. Um, so I think, honestly, I love the design of him in this. It is so cool, and it's so perfect as like a modern interpretation of his comics appearance Mm -hmm. so i'm excited to see where this goes jonathan majors is an awesome actor and he does a great job as kang Mm -hmm. so very curious to see yeah for sure now some of the other things on the trailer that we saw here too we we definitely saw uh parts of the the city um that's in the microverse there are definitely some cool designs uh there with that uh, style and i think zach you were mentioning before seems to be pretty comics accurate or at least close to what we see in the comics as well close to uh we see in the comics there's a brief bit um, where hank pym actually the original ant-man who in this uh is no longer ant-man as that mantle has been passed down to scott lang as we saw in the first movie hank pym being played by michael douglas in the movies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he in the comics went briefly down into the microverse which was a very small, very futuristic city, kind of almost Wakandan in appearance, which mm-hmm. we saw in the trailer is very, uh, has a lot of kind of floating metallic elements yep. to it. Um, so I feel like they, they did a good job of making it seem modern and seem in line with their design for the quantum realm in the previous movies. Um, so I, I'm very pleased with it. I think it's very interesting, very cool um, design as well and we see that they're kind of their own civilization there's some humanoids there's some robots some uh alien-esque bipeds Mm -hmm. in it so it's a very diverse 
culture. It's almost alien in its appearance. You know, one of the things we also get a shot of, and it's right after the scene with that manta ray type looking creature that they're all on there. Uh, we get a shot of Janet and some of their characters. I think I think uh, Hank is in that as well, mm-hmm. um, dressed in kind of wasteland looking outfits. Right, they've got these sand goggles and they've got kind of like uh, beige or gray cloaks and stuff. And I'm kind of a sucker for uh, kind of like wasteland apocalyptic looking <laughs> outfits. Um, so that definitely stood out to me. I'm not really sure why they're wearing that particular garb unless there's actually a desert that they go through, which some of the scenes. Kind kind of imply that maybe there is uh, but it was interesting to see them in that kind of garb as well uh, I mean if you see the way that they presented the microverse in the trailer the city itself um, seems modern and everybody that's living in the city is very dressed almost royally mm-hmm. um, like we see um, Bill Murray's character Lord Krylar mm-hmm. in the first trailer um, and his guards and they're all wearing very royal looking clothes very mm-hmm. um, expensive cloaks and things like that and and armor pieces but then we see some people that are tracking through kind of like the wilderness part of the quantum realm when they first get in Mm -hmm. and you see that they're wearing those very similar wastelandish tom hardy mad max looking clothes and so i almost wonder if it's kind of split into like wastelanders and then city people Uh, okay if that makes sense because the city people look a lot different in their clothes than the people in the wasteland do like the robot with the big eye on his head stuff like that so what's your take on Kang's relationship to the city? Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like Kang has set himself up as some sort of a ruler? Or do you think that he's kind of separated from the city? Uh, any ideas there? He kind of seems to me like a puppet master. Because mm-hmm. we know Lord Krylar is technically presidential, has some sort of presidential yeah. role. He rules over the city. But I think Kang will be behind him kind of pulling the strings because it like seems Palpatine to me... Palpatine to his Vader kind Exactly, of yeah. Because yeah. it seems to me like Lord Kryler isn't necessarily a bad guy, but he's just kind of spineless. Yeah. And he just kind of lets Kang do whatever and he just follows orders and mm-hmm. then pretends to be the leader of the city. He's right. kind of the face in front of Kang. Right. So I think we'll see that Kang's kind of behind the scenes pulling the strings okay. a little bit. All right. So Because I think his main goal of being in this city is to find a way out. I think he's amassing forces to try and leave the quantum realm. All right. Well, I know that we're kind of burying the lead for one of the the big appearances in the trailer, Mm -hmm. so we'll get to that in a second here. But one thing I wanted to throw out before we get done is you mentioned something about the Young Avengers, and I wanted to touch on that again for people who aren't as familiar with that. So the Young Avengers uh, were a comics creation uh, probably eight to ten years ago, something like that. They made their first appearance. And they're basically, the idea behind them in the comics was that they in some way are connected generationally or through family ties or just simply through inspiration to a more famous superhero. So for instance, you know, some of the obvious ones that we've already seen in the cinematic universe uh, with Hawkeye and Kate Bishop, obviously she's taking inspiration from the original Hawkeye, you know, that's played by Jeremy Renner in the Avengers movie and whatnot. Um, And then we see that with Cassie with, you know, taking on kind of Scott Lang's abilities and powers. Um, one other person that we've already been introduced to in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually Patriot, um, which is basically, he, he made his appearance in the Falcon Winter Soldier TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will be kind of a, in this case, an homage uh, to Captain America. Um, so we've already got some of those characters in place. Uh, we also have seen uh, in WandaVision, um, Wanda's two kids in that TV show are also in the comics part of the Young Avengers as well. Billy and Tommy. Yes, taking on roles that are kind of similar to Quicksilver from the X-Men and Hulk, uh, kind of a uh, mixture of... Wanda, actually, because Wiccan is 
I'm sorry, you're right, you're right. I actually actually buried the lead there with Hulking. That's a different character. Hulking is a different character who's also in the Young Avengers. No, you're right. We haven't we haven't seen him yet in the Marvel. You're correct. I misspoke. Tommy is gonna be a Scarlet Witch variant there Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So there's definitely some pieces in play already uh, for this group of superheroes that might uh, kind of take the mantle on from the ones that we're familiar with now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, the way the movie business works, you're not gonna get Robert Downey Jr. forever, and you're not gonna get Chris Evans forever, you know, to play those roles on into infinity. It just gets too expensive. Unfortunately. Yes. And they get older and they want to do other things. So Marvel has to prepare for the future. And one way to do that is to start, you know, casting their their homage characters like we see here with the Young Avengers. So um, I'm curious where that's going to go. I think that's probably still a few years away. Uh, but definitely they're laying the groundwork for that. And we still got Spider-Man. It seems to me like they might be leading up to perhaps replacing him with Miles Morales as right. well, who was in the Young Avengers for a little while. Yeah, and I so, would love that. I think that's yeah. uh, something that's necessary, and I'm, I'm hoping that they actually do that sooner rather than later, but mm-hmm. we'll see. It's a logical step, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So so anything yeah. else you want to touch on on the trailer before we get to the uh, you know the head in the room? Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, the one thing I noticed is Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym almost seem to take a real step back. This almost focuses on Janet's connection to the microverse as well as the relationship between Scott and Cassie. Mm-hmm. So I think they may be taking kind of backseat roles to allow the story to fluctuate in other ways, um, which is interesting because they both had pretty decently big roles in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So we'll see what they do with their characters. Um but I'm excited for it. Um, I love the design of it. I love the shots are super cinematic and they're super beautiful. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I love Jonathan Majors and I love uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Going to be good stuff. Okay, so we saved one part of the trailer for last because we believe that for, for folks that maybe aren't as you know steeped in the lore of the Marvel comics, there's going to be a lot of questions around a character that makes an appearance in here. He's kind of in the background. You definitely could potentially sort of miss him, although there's one scene where it's pretty obvious. But but you know don't feel bad if you didn't really notice the weird design on this character. Um, but Zach, let's talk about the big floating head. Yes. So in this trailer, in the second trailer, we get our first look at Modok. And Modok in the comics was the mental organism designed only for killing the head of AIM Industries. Hey, he, wait, wait, wait. Now, now you're kind of getting into my... Good point, good point. We'll step yeah. away from that territory. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what, what Zach is alluding to here is we've got a profile coming up for you. We're going to actually profile Modoc and break down just what a crazy character he is. Yeah. But let's talk about his appearance in the Cinematic Universe trailer so far. What did we notice about who might be playing him? So we see that he is played by the actor who played the Yellow Jacket. Yeah, Corey Stoll. Yes, Corey Stoll um, in the first film. Um, So it kind of seems to me, because we know at the end of the first film, the way he got rid of Yellow Jacket during that fight scene is by shrinking inside of his backpack thing that controlled his size. And he went into the quantum realm to shrink between his molecules and 
basically short circuit his size changing device, which appeared to blink him out of existence entirely. Um, but we see now that what it might have done instead is sent him to the quantum realm. Now, what this means is perhaps because there was uh, an error with his sizing device that it may have made his head really, really large <laughs> and the rest of his body very, very small. Yeah. Um, and so he rides around in a floating chair um, as basically just a giant sentient head. Yes. Um, which is interesting to me because he's very he's a completely unrelated character in the comics, of course. Um, but in the movies, they often take their own liberties with their characters. So we see that perhaps Yellow Jacket is taking on the role of Modok in this. And uh, what do you want to say to speak to his his design in this and what role he appears to play in, in the trailer? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, he appears to be some sort of an advisor or underling to Kang uh, because we see that he follows him, right? So there's mm -hmm. kind of an implication there that he's maybe an advisor or someone in cahoots with him. Um, as far as what exactly the role he plays, you know, I, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I think you get, you'll see when you listen to the profile that in the comics he has a very different background, like Zach was implying here, uh, than what we see in the movie. So it's tough to get a good read, I think. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any theories on it? Uh, I'm not sure because we know uh, he's not necessarily playing because in the he was kind of more of a supervillain in the comics right. definitely the head of his own organization right so i feel like in this they're kind of making him seem maybe like a backstep mm -hmm. um but if something happens to kang in this i feel like they're going to set modok up to maybe be a bigger villain later um perhaps in armor wars because in the comics he does Fair. have ties to iron man right right i could see that um so it's possible we see him come back and maybe start aim let's say um, I will say this, having MODOK in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a bold choice because mm -hmm. of his odd design. The fact that we have a massive head with little tiny arms and legs floating around in a hover chair, that's something I wasn't sure I'd ever see executed in the movies, but it's definitely an interesting bold choice. Yes. It's a bold choice, Cotton, so we're going to see how this uh, <laughs> plays out for them. Yeah. So, are we ready? Do we want to move into our profile? Let's do it. So guys, you've heard us here talking about MODOK's appearance in the new Ant-Man movie. Let's take a look at his appearance in the comics in our next character bio segment. Alright everybody, so for today's profile we are going to cover MODOK, which as Zach pointed out is an acronym for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. So MODOK is probably one of the strangest Marvel creations, uh, as he is in fact essentially a giant talking head, as we saw in the trailer. Um, it remains to be seen exactly how he's going to be used in the cinematic universe, but we can take a look at his comics history for some idea of where they might be headed. <laughs> so MODOK made his first appearance as a Captain American villain in the comic Tales of Suspense in issue 94. So at that point in time, Captain America did not have his own comic yet. He was part of a kind of variety comic, if you will, on Tales of Suspense, and MODOK made an appearance there. Uh, he was, of course, immediately killed, as was often the case with those early stories, uh, where the villain would often get immediately taken care of in some fashion, whether put in jail or killed. Um, but Stan Lee liked his wacky design and brought him back when Captain America received his own comic. Um, he underwent a revamp in Captain America number 133, which is kind of where we'll start our profile, because that's where the biggest changes occurred. Um, He's most often associated with a villainous intelligence agency known as AIM, A-I-M, which is another acronym, of course, that stands for Advanced Idea Mechanics. We'll get back to MODOK in a minute, but a quick background on AIM. So AIM is a private think tank of brilliant but often evil scientists who are dedicated to using technology and science to gather power. 
Typically, they do things like they supply advanced arms to rebellions or militant organizations to try to create violence and chaos, uh, essentially trying to like destabilize the current order of things. Through this, they gather power and profit. The leader of AIM is always given the title of Scientist Supreme, not to be confused with Dr. Strange's title of Sorcerer Supreme, it's a different thing. Okay, so back to MODOK. He did not start out life as a massive floating cranium. Uh, there are some theories that the MCU version of MODOK will be a different person with ties to the first Ant-Man movie, as we discussed. But in the comics universe, he was originally just a man named George Tarleton. So very different from what we see here with Ant-Man. Um, there are various versions of his origin story. You know, sometimes when comics run for a long enough time, you start to get some what they call retcon, which is retro continuity, where they go back and kind of tweak parts of their origin. That definitely happened in this case. Um, and all of them, though, they point at some point he ends up joining AIM and working for them for a period of time. During this time, he helps create the Cosmic Cube, which is a device that can control and bend matter and energy to form pretty much anything the person who controls it wants. Obviously, such a device is extremely dangerous in the wrong hands, as it bends reality. Um, when AIM realized what they had created, they decided they needed a way to analyze the cube to understand it. So they created Project MODOK, spelled with a C, and standing for Mental Organization Designed Only for Computing. So a lot, you know, a lot more harmless than he eventually ended up being. Uh, however, they nominated George Tarleton against his will for mutagenic alteration. So they basically went in and they, they created, uh, they gifted him with super intelligence in order to study the cube, but as a process, he went through a lot of genetic mutation. Um, they did not account for the size of his brain, though, when they did this, um, and they ended up having to create a floating hover chair simply to support the extra weight of his gigantic head. Um, they also did not anticipate that he would have ambitions with his newfound intelligence. Um, and he ended up turning on his masters and overthrowing AIM. He killed the scientists who had forced him to undergo this cellular irradiation that changed him. Once that happened, he then changed his name to what we know now as MODOK with a K, changing the computing to killing to reflect his new outlook on life. Uh, early in his comics history, he came into conflict with Captain America and teamed up with the Red Skull, which we've seen before in the MCU, uh, played by Hugo Weaving in the first Captain America movie. Um, as would make sense if you are stuck as a giant, ugly-talking head with ridiculous arms and legs, um, MODOK hated Cap for his perfectly square-jawed face and his physical perfection. I'm not making that up, that's really a thing in the <laughs> comics. Um, he was also infatuated with an, a scientist of AIM, Monica Rappuccini, um, in a very Quasimodo-like fashion, which basically means she would not give him the time of day. Um, although in one issue it's kind of implied she finally gives him pity sex, which, yuck, how does that even work? You know what, never mind, let's talk about Namor. Uh, if you remember Zach's profile of Namor from our last podcast, you'll recall that Namor is one of the original Marvel heroes fighting in World War II with Captain America and Bucky. That means MODOK also ran a foul or a forehead, if you will, with Namor a time or two. So, let's jump ahead a little bit. In modern comics history, MODOK was eventually killed by the Serpent Society, an organization with kind of a rivalry to AIM. Um, they really, really like using snakes as avatars for everything. No, really? Their members have names like Sidewinder, Black Mamba, Death Adder, Cottonmouth, Princess Python, because girls, I guess. I don't know, that one's a little weird. But you can see they have a snake affixation. However, his death was not for long. AIM revived MODOK using a cosmic cube to get his help repairing a screw-up they'd done with the cube. Uh, he ended up doing some dimension hopping for a while, which, you know, giant floating heads kind of do. Um, he was stopped by Iron Man. Zach mentioned his ties to Iron Man there. 
Um, he was even used at one point by the US military to tap into spy satellites and manipulate the stock market. So we're gonna jump ahead a little bit here. There's quite a bit that happens, but basically in the end, um, Modoc runs into a super intelligent hero named Amadeus Cho, um, who used his own reality warping ability to change him back into George Charlton. So he is now not a giant floating head. Um, however, he was taken into custody because they still were a little bit afraid of him, and he went under went undergoes therapy, basically, for the trauma caused by his actions. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of where they've left him in the comics universe. Um, they did end up kind of doing an offshoot of him, um, but I just have to mention because of the crazy name. They basically created someone that was a long-haired blonde surfer stud. They called him Brodoc. Uh, Bio-robotic organism designed overwhelmingly for kissing. Look, not every idea Marvel has is a great one, okay? So, uh, it remains to be seen how the Marvel Universe will utilize him in the movies, but it can't be stranger than his comics history, right? Right? Right. Right. All right, that's what I've got. That is our MODOK profile. All right, that was great. A little more information on MODOK there for you guys in this character bio this week. Next, I think we're going to be doing a little bit of some changing course here away from the MCU, and we're going to take a bit to talk about the new, new-ish mobile game that everyone's been playing that we kind of mentioned uh, in the last episode. Let's talk a little bit about Marvel Snap. Now, it's kind of become a big deal. A lot of people are posting everywhere about the decks that they've been building for this. Um, why don't you go into a little bit uh, and talk about kind of what Marvel Snap is? Sure. Yeah. So Marvel Snap is actually designed by Ben Brode. And some of you may know who Ben is. Ben is actually the creator of the popular Hearthstone digital card game. Uh, that's based on the Warcraft world. Uh, so basically a very, very popular game. Uh, I looked it up just out of curiosity. It at one point was earning $30 million a month. That is $30 million a month for him. So obviously a very good designer. Uh, he moved on and actually created his own studio called Second Dinner. Uh, and Marvel Snap is one of his first creations under that uh, studio. So he's, he's definitely shown that he's not a fluke when it comes to designing good card games. So Marvel Snap, what that is, it is a digital card game. Um, has pretty fast gameplay. Games take about three to four minutes on average. Um, and, you know, basically the goal behind it is, is you take a, a uh, you pick from a large pool of characters, of Marvel characters, and you create a deck. Um, the gameplay is a lot of like paper, rock, scissors. Uh, or if you're familiar with the card game War, basically your goal is you're trying to capture at least two of three locations. There's always three locations on, on the game board. Um, and you're trying to take at least two of them by the end of the game uh, by simply having the most points. So it's a pretty simple concept, but I think at least it's it, there's a lot of strategy around how you get about uh, doing that. Anything I missed on that, Zach? No, I think that's great. Uh, each of the characters have their own abilities. Um, so each card you play will do something different for you. So some of them will be more powerful and will be played later in the game. And some will be played earlier on that help you uh, with quickly amassing power and energy to play more characters. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know me and you have been playing a lot of this. A bunch of my friends play it. Um, and so they've been talking about how friend support might be coming later to yes. add and play against your friends, which is awesome. Super excited for that because I want to take you on. Oh, yeah. We got to do a game only on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, it's so much fun. And uh, you basically, as you go through the game, you go uh, up the ranks of your collection. 
Um, and as you go up the ranks of the collection, you start to unlock new cards that you can play. So it's kind of a collectible card game aspect um, in order to build your deck of 10 cards. So, and I want to talk about why that's a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. So so a lot of card games, if you're familiar with games like Magic or other ones that are out there, they have one of two ways of, of doling out the cards. Um, either you purchase packs with real money, um, you know, potentially you might be able to earn some sort of in-game currency that allows you to buy them as well. But typically the goal is to get you to buy packs with real money. Um, and then you either are random, where basically you have no idea what you're going to get as a card when you open it. Uh, or in some games, they have what they call uh, like a season pass or a battle pass, which basically outlines exactly what you're going to get. So you'll know if I level up, I'm going to earn this particular card and everyone is going to get that card. And I have to, you know, if I have a favorite card down the line, I have to wait until I get there. So if, if, you know, if, if I love Spider-Man and Spider-Man is going to take me three months of grinding, you know, this game to get there, that's what it takes. Um, Marvel Snap changed that. And what they basically said is, is we want it to be random but controlled. So what they've done is they've put a certain group of cards in a pool and then they rank that pool like let's say 1 to 300. And your first 300 ranks, as you play the game, you level up. In those first 300 ranks, you're going to draw cards from that pool at random. Then when you get to a certain arbitrary number, you then move up to a second pool, which has a different set of characters. Not necessarily more powerful. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but just a different set that kind of allows you to unlock a little more creativity in your deck or try some more crazy things maybe. Um, what's great about that is you don't end up having to grind and wait months and months to get to your favorite character. It's a random drop and it just gives you, you know, tomorrow you could pull your favorite character versus waiting three months. So I think that's an awesome design um, and allows it to just kind of level the playing field a little bit more on what you could draw as well. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about some of our, our thoughts about the game and kind of some of our strategies for it for those of you who, who want to get into playing it or are already playing it. Um, we're going to go ahead and talk about, about some of that, some of our thoughts on it, and kind of how we feel about uh, the gameplay and some of our favorite deck strategies and, and cards. So Sounds good. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I noticed right off the bat is that unfortunately in this game, you cannot just play your favorite characters mm -hmm. uh, because they de you know while there is some synergy so certain characters that maybe have a history together in the comics um, there might be a little bit of synergy between their on their text on their card as far as how the two play together uh, but really in general uh, like for instance you know spider-man is not necessarily going to be the best card in your deck uh, even if he's your favorite character so you do have to adapt a little bit um, I, I kind of I read an interview where, where Ben kind of indicated that the Marvel license was a way to get you into the game. So like the fact that you can collect Spider-Man or Ant-Man or Hulk or whoever your favorite character is, is the doorway. But once you get into the game, you realize you're gonna need to expand beyond that and be more flexible with what is in your deck. Um, he had a kind of funny point where he said it's not easy to sell a game where the characters are called Stabby Hands or Laser Beam Face Guy. Um, so definitely getting that Marvel license was key to the success of this game. It would have been a lot less probably entertaining even if you don't ultimately want Spider-Man in your deck for whatever reason, uh, if it was like Web Guy instead. So I think it definitely makes sense to hang the Marvel license on it, and it worked out well. But um, that's one bit that you'll figure out right away is don't just stick to your favorite characters. You're going to need to adapt uh, to really how your deck wants to be designed to give you the best uh, choices to play. So Zach, what's something you've noticed? Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely have noticed that, that it kind of depends on what, because uh, especially early on, I wanted to have a whole bunch of decks that all like worked together. Um, 
So I kind of wanted like an Avengers deck, or mm-hmm. I wanted like an X Men deck, or a Guardians of the Galaxy deck, and you can do that, but you have to be really careful who you put in those decks mm-hmm. because my original iterations of let's say my Guardians of the Galaxy deck was super underpowered, and none of my cards worked together, so I lost every game I played. Right. But as you go through and you kind of start going up, because I'm kind of in the high hundreds on my collection level now. Um, and as you get up into those pools, so I think I'm in pool two or three, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And as you get up that high, you start to unlock more cards. And in some of those pools, um, Groot, Drax, and Mantis are up there in pool two, I believe. Um, and so as you start to collect those cards, my deck started realize like I started to realize that you can have the Guardians, but you have to do cards around them that make sense with right. that group of characters but still play off them well right so i basically turned it into kind of cosmic characters so i have like iwatu the watcher i have mm. cosmo the space dog alongside my i hate guardians. cosmo by the way i absolutely hate cosmo well hey it works for me though because <laughs> all of mine are like either on reveal or ongoing so since cosmo blocks your cards that you play immediately he blocks all of their powers so you just play them on a location you don't want people to touch right and it kind of helps with that so i use them in certain circumstances as long as my cards are already played there that's the key mm-hmm. but basically you have to go through and you can't just put cards together or you're probably not going to win because somebody else is going to have a better strategy right you. so it's all just about making sure that you know that just putting characters together that make sense together doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a good fit. Yeah. So let's step back a minute. Let's talk about the cards themselves and why that is the case. So when you when you have a card um, and you, you're going to look at it, what you'll see is a couple different things. You're going to see a cost in the upper left corner. And what that basically does is that drives when you can play the card. So the, the, the structure of the game is such that you're granted energy or, you know, it's basically a, a way to spend money to play a card. Um, you're granted energy every turn. That energy increases one of two ways. Either it just goes up one every turn. So like turn one, you have one energy. Turn two, you have two. Or there are certain modifications, either through card text or the location that you might randomly get in that game. It might actually boost your energy for one turn. So maybe you're on turn two. Normally you'd have two energy, but the location gives you an extra five. So that turn, all of a sudden, you've got seven energy. Um, That is how you spend, that's what you spend to play your cards. So that left corner is the cost. The right corner is the power uh, of the card. So that goes back to what we said about when you have to win two out of the three territories to win the game. Uh, You want the most power. That's the important part of your card that helps you win that location. Then at the bottom of the card, most cards have some sort of text. That could be an on reveal, which means as soon as you play it and the card flips over, whatever that power is gets activated. It could also be ongoing, which means for the rest of the game, unless something blocks it, Um, that power is going to take effect, whatever it is. So you've got some text there. You also have some that might limit. So it might say, you can only play this on turn six, or this card will only be in your hand on turn three, and then you have to play it or you lose it. So there's going to be text like that. So definitely there's some strategy. You need to look at your deck and look at the text and what the synergy is there. Um, But that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about how cards might not fit together, is it's not enough to just pick the highest... Uh, power cards and say, okay, I'm going to win because I have all the highest power. Because what you'll find is you'll not have enough energy early in the game, enough, I'm sorry, enough um, spending points or or energy to spend to actually play all these cards. So you're just going to be sitting there waiting until turn six and you'll only be able to play one card. So you have to have some one energy, some two energy, some three energy to be able to play all the way through the game. Mm -hmm. 
I know one thing that I like a lot about the game is the speed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's six turns in a game, and uh, there is cards that can change and add a turn seven, or even change it to only be done after turn four. Um, but traditionally, the game is six turns, so it's a very fast gameplay, and you have a timer for how long it takes to be able to play your card. It's a decently long timer, but it's quick enough that, like, uh, let's say I have a downtime while I'm, like, eating lunch or something mm -hmm. uh, in my during my workday, I can play, like, three games. So anytime you have, like, a small bit of downtime, yep. it's fun just to pop on and play a quick game and then collect what you need and... and hop off so it's really cool the gameplay is really fun and fast and engaging which is unusual for a mobile game too because yes. a lot of mobile games lose my attention right but this one has kept me going for a while and it took me a while to get into it i wasn't um super like impressed at first uh but once you kind of get past the first couple of collection levels it starts to get and you start kind of learning how to build your decks it gets really fun it does there's a there's kind of a hidden depth to this game i mean it does it does have simplistic mechanics which i think is great because really i think almost anyone can pick this game up and play it um and we'll talk in a second here about how they actually pair you with other people which helps that but i i would encourage people listening even if you don't normally play a digital card game and you're at all curious about this game give it a try it is not as complicated as it sounds we're probably i'm probably making it more complicated than it is um but it's very very easy to pick up it does take a while to master though so that's where i think some of the replayability comes in but certainly don't be, be intimidated even if that's not your thing um, because it is pretty easy to pick up it's just going to take you some time to master if you're not used to you know pairing cards together by text and how they work together that kind of thing um, but one of the ways that they, they make sure that you're paired with people who have equivalent skill is they also have a ranking system. So as you, where, where the, um, the snap element comes into the game, which I neglected to mention at the beginning, uh, it's kind of a critical piece. Um, you're basically betting uh, your rank against someone else. So when the game starts, you're betting one point, let's say, um, and then as it gets towards the end of the game, that can increase one of two ways. Um, either you can bet and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to beat this person, so I'm going to increase the point amount, which allows you to double it when you do that. That's called the snap. When you snap, it doubles the point value. Um, or you can, if you know that you're losing, you can actually retreat before the end of the game and say, no, I, I basically fold um, and back out. And then at that point, you only lose one point. If you wait until the very end of the game and then lose, your stake is higher. So the amount of you know points that you have now bet saying you're going to win um, has raised. So you definitely want to keep an eye on the game. And if you realize early on that you've maybe played something wrong or a card didn't come up the way you wanted, it is best to retreat um, and get out with your points because those points go into determining your rank. So you start out you know at rank one and you work your way up. Um, each 10 levels of rank give you some sort of little small gift. So it might be like a, a new profile picture. Uh, it might be some credits, which are used to basically continue to upgrade your characters and unlock new cards. Um, you know, it could be a title. Like when they have a loading screen, you can put fun little titles on your name uh, to, you know, as jokes for other people. So um, it allows you to do some of that stuff. But more importantly, when you're in those levels, you're only playing other people who have the same level. So if you're level 10, you're playing other folks who are in that same level 10 area. Um, it's a great way to kind of keep it balanced because again, how that works, if you lose a lot, you're bumped down in the rankings. So you might move from a 10 to a nine to an eight. And now you're playing people who are in the same boat as you. So it really allows you to have that learning curve. 
Um, and what I've heard as well is that do, they do work some bots in as well early on. That stops when you get to the upper levels, but in the beginning levels, they also have that to try to give you an extra advantage. Because what they found was if you were playing against only human, employ only human players, um, there was a tendency to still move you down in the rankings. So they allowed people to kind of have a chance to beat some of the bots, move up a little bit, and then kind of learn from that and keep growing. So it's a neat little system and definitely helps you advance as well. But that's where the snap part comes in, is that gambling piece. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun too because sometimes I get ahead of myself. I get a little big for my britches. <laughs> snap like, a little early, do you? I, I like, <laughs> either what I'll do is I'll intimidate the person by like snapping on turn mm -hmm. one before I even right. played any cards. So you're that crazy guy that does that. I love doing that because then some people will snap with you and then you're both in for the long right. haul at that point and there's a little bit of like fun there that you can right. have with the other person. It's a little bit of a human connection. Um, but what's, what is, gets dangerous is when you think when you're kind of like tied almost and you're at that turn six and you're mm -hmm. like, I think with one turn I can win and you snap and then you lose and you lose like eight out of 10 of your points and then you're just back down right. a little. It's like, so it can get risky, but it's really fun to kind of like feel out how you think you can do uh, in that. So I, I really am enjoying the game and I love just being able to pop on and play a couple of quick games mm -hmm. really quick and trying to work for the, some of those characters. And like you said, the randomness of it mm -hmm. really plays to its replayability as well and doesn't make everything so structured. I love the psychology too because there's a lot of, one of the things that I enjoy at least is you know trying to guess and bet where that other person's gonna play their card because when you get towards the, the last few rounds, um, you, know, you might have a location that's a little light on points um, and so maybe maybe you've only got one card there and you're trying to guess is that person going to try to throw all their points on that and try to take it from you or not. And so there's definitely that psychology of where am I going to put my last few hands on turn five and six, um, you know, to play that and try to that, that guessing game is a lot of fun, I think, as well. And one, I think, very important like piece of advice is stop putting all of your powerful characters <laughs> in one place. Because people near the end of a game forget that you have to take two out of the three to win. So they'll leave one completely unguarded and pile like all of their strong characters in one place. So then I play like Rocket Raccoon, who's like two power, and I take an entire location <laughs> with him because they're just not paying attention. You stop giving away secrets. So you just got to be careful. <laughs> trying to help them out here. You got to be no, a little no, it's, careful it's about true. what locations you play because people forget in the bigger scheme of the game that more locations matter. Right. Or they spread themselves too thin and try and take all three. Right. You don't need all three. You only no, need two. You need two. Right. So it's important right from the beginning to try and focus on one or two locations yep. and just go all in on those two instead of trying to either spread too thin or focus too much. And pay attention to the text on your opponent's cards because that can mm -hmm. give you an idea what they're going to play based on what, what they've already played. So if you see text that's going to imply that maybe they're going to look to you know destroy cards or maybe they're going to look to move cards around, uh, <clears throat> that can give you an idea like, well, you know, on turn six, they might suddenly shift a bunch of their cards to a different location and then suddenly win that location. So it's all a lot of strategy and kind of paying attention to what they're playing, but it's, it's great psychology. For sure. All right, anything else you want to talk about about uh, Marvel Snap? I don't think so. That gives you guys kind of a good overview, and I hope some of you will choose to pick up this game because it is a lot of fun, um, and it's already won Mobile Game of the Year last year. Yep. And so we're just trying, like, everybody's getting on the bandwagon. It's so much fun, and um, they're adding new cards all the time. They just added uh, Shanna the She-Devil to it. They just added Sauron, who kind of sucks low-key. <laughs> but um, they're adding characters, new characters, and new locations all the time. So yep. it's constantly changing, and there's a lot of fun events that 
events going on. We have a Chinese New Year event going yep. on right now to win extra rewards. So and it's, it's fun. It's, it's free to play, which is great. Yeah. So there's no risk to you. There's definitely some things you can spend real money on. You can buy season passes. You know, you can buy some extra boosters and credits. But it's not required. This is not a pay-to-win game. If you spend money, you're not going to have an advantage, which is great. Uh, so it is free to play. So there's no risk. Check it out. And uh, it's on the Apple Store or on Android as well. Yep. Go ahead, pick it up, and, and give it a try, and let us know. Shoot out in the comments about what you think about it. Absolutely. So. Yeah, we'd love to, to hear more. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Alright guys, you know what time it is. It's time for another t episode of Bugle Bites. I didn't do the voice this time. You You're did welcome. It. You did. It was very pleasant. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to start us off with something big in the news today overseas that's going on with Marvel? Absolutely, yeah. Definitely a big monetary impact. So, uh, for the last four years, uh, Marvel movies have actually not been released in China, which China is one of the biggest markets uh, for, for Marvel. So, um, one thing that's you know good to hear is that they've announced that they will now allow uh, movies to be re to be released there in the country. Um, mostly, the reason for that is up the last few years, they've, this is kind of their pandemic response, uh, their COVID response. They've limited, um, you know, theater going and things like that. So they're starting to reopen the country, um, and as a result, they're allowing uh, Marvel Studios to return. Um, the first movie into the country will be Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Um, they're going to release it February seventh, and then really quickly thereafter, they're going to allow Ant Man to release on its normal release date, which is February seventeenth. So only about about 10 days between movies which it'll be interesting how it affects the box office they could kind of cannibalize uh, one from the other but good news for marvel i'm sure they're definitely happy to have that uh, that market back open uh, for movies it's been a long run for people in china to not to get to go to a theater and see them yeah pretty cool that'll be fun um and another bit of news uh we can talk for a little bit about marvel's avengers which was the triple a title video game uh that triple f you mean triple f yeah <laughs> it came out a few years ago and it was not met with a positive response at all the game's very uh repeated playing style made it rather boring um and the constant addition of new characters didn't really add much to the game and the play style was just kind of boring and the characters had very limited customization uh and, and power levels for that so the game kind of flopped but for some reason they kept releasing new updates now they never released very many paid paywall updates other than um black panther um, and some of those other ones, uh, and Spider-Man came out as a PlayStation exclusive character, so a lot of the game was just kind of not handled uh, in the way that people wanted, and so the game kind of was a big waste of money, uh, and it lost the studio, uh, it was done by Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics, and it lost them both a buttload of money, yeah. um, and so they just announced um, today, which this will come out a, a couple weeks from now, but uh, at the time of the filming, it was announced that the last version 2.8 will be the final update on March 31st, and that'll be the last update for the game. Um, so they're done releasing characters, they're only doing minor updates, and the last one will be March 31st, and they're ceasing all uh, tech support altogether on September 30th. So the game in a short bit of, I think, about three years, the entire game is already shut down. Yeah. Um, which was kind of to be expected. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see a good Avengers game. I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, definitely the, uh, what was that, Marvel Alliance was kind of a, a game mm -hmm. that flirted with that idea a little bit where you can play multiple characters together as a group. I think it's a great idea. This game just didn't 
work. The execution uh, wasn't there. And we, of course, we got Midnight Suns a little while ago, but right. that kind of went unnoticed as well. Yeah. So the Marvel games, uh, Spider-Man's really the only one that actually was rather successful right. as of recent times. Which Spider-Man 2 is coming out soon, yep. too, and we're very excited for that. So that's a little bit of info. Marvel Avengers is done. So... There we go. Uh, in other news, uh, May 17th, uh, coming up, we have a brand new Marvel run from superstar writer Jed McKay and Marvel Stormbreaker artist C.V. C.F. Vila. Uh, we're going to see uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes into their new run in All Out Avengers. Um, basically, what uh, we're seeing here is it's probably just, it's going to be the Avengers dealing with a cascade of world-ending cataclysms. That's as one does when you're an Avenger. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that's straight from Marvel.com. That's their headline for that. So we're super excited to see where this goes. Uh, it has an all-star team of writers and illustrators, and it's bringing a bunch of really awesome Avengers. Spider-Man, Vision, Black Panther, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, Captain America. They're all coming together um, once again. So it's going to be it's gonna be cool, and that comes out uh, in May. Excellent. That, that one looks interesting. I'm going to check that out. So that'll be fun. Uh, what else do we have? Do we have an update for us on, on Jeremy Renner's progress, perhaps? Jeremy Renner, yeah. So uh, definitely there was a little bit of rumor flying around um, that his uh, accident was was even more serious. I mean, obviously it was already serious to begin with, with the, uh, you know, getting crushed by a snowplow. Uh, but there was that'll, some... That'll really cramp your style. It'll ruin it your day. Definitely would, yeah. Um, but there was some rumor coming around that he, you know, potentially was facing mm. a decision around whether or not he would even be able to, to walk again. Um, that l- potentially looks to be a rumor. I mean, again, it's unsubstantiated, um, but what we, what I, what I'm happy to see, and what we definitely want to focus on here at, at Mind the Snap, is that he is posting on social media. Seems to be pretty positive. Uh, you know, he's back home. Uh, he's working on therapy. There was a kind of a picture of him going through some physical therapy, um, and you know, obviously, the hope being that he can quickly, you know, as quickly as possible, uh, restore his strength and and hopefully even get back on his feet. So obviously, the long road ahead. Uh, lots of you know, he's going to have to demonstrate a lot of strength. And, and determination, but our thoughts are with him, and uh, it's a good sign that he's posting positively from from home. So again, continue to wish him the best of luck, and, and hope he gets back well soon. Awesome, some great, hopefully, some positivity there around his uh, situation. Yep. Uh, in other news, we got uh, a new Guardians of the Galaxy trailer as well, alongside the new Ant Man trailer, and we got our very first look at our uh, our little friend Adam Warlock, who. I was a little unsure about the casting decision there. I'm still a little unsure, um, but but the first look, I love the, his design. Mm-hmm. Uh, the costume's really cool, and uh, he looks good. Yeah, he looks good with his gold skin there and everything. Yeah, but, uh, it, it looks interesting. So you know, hopes are high. It'll be uh, it'll be it'll be a fun ride. I'm excited for it. Um, it looks to be like maybe there's some some heart wrenching aspects to this movie there's a, a lot of very dramatic scenes so yeah I, I definitely have my I feel like potentially we'll see some character deaths here in this one as well um, especially when some of the characters have been so outright saying that they're not returning after this um, but we'll see it definitely looks dramatic and I'm sure it'll be a, a, a good ride mm-hmm. so there we go we got our our, uh, our first look at Adam Warlock we have a new Avengers line uh, and Jeremy Renner is on the up and up and Marvel's coming back uh, back to China. Back to China. So yeah. um, we're looking good. So uh, that's that's it for another episode of Mind the Snap. As always, you guys, tell them where they can find us. 
Well, you can find us on all social media platforms, Instagram or Twitter or uh, Facebook. Well, we're working on Facebook. We're mm-hmm. working on that, but definitely Instagram and Twitter and Spotify. Uh, check us out on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, but did we, before we sign off, do we want to real quick just touch on what we are going to cover a little bit uh, next week or next time? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so next time on Mind the Snap, you guys, we're going to go a little bit deeper into Ant-Man because by the time we're releasing our next episode, Ant-Man will be fresh out in theaters. So we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about what we expect from Kang and the microverse. And we're going to go into a little bit of history. Yeah, we're definitely going to go maybe some little, maybe even a few extra bios or two. We'll mm-hmm. see. But we definitely want people prepared going into the uh, the movie for, you know, to kind of know what all your characters are. So we're excited for that. We might have our usual news as well and some other things. So uh, it should be a good podcast. Um, but Zach, hit them up or let them know too where they can hit us up on email. That's right. So guys, as always, please reach out to us at nerdsinsuitspod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you guys. We really want to hear your thoughts. We have some questions up on Anchor and Spotify as well. So let us know your thoughts, reach out, and let us know what you think. And we'll hope to feature them in future episodes. All right. Uh, Take care, everybody. Be good to each other, and we will see you next time. As always, guys, mind the snap. Mind the snap.